0: I'm going to answer a question I frequently get. It's related to what's on our slide, on uh, the next slide, our opener. I've gotten questions about version and where to find the events that are listed on our opening slide. So if you have your phone, not not that I hope you do, Um, (laughs) but if you have the Bible app on your phone, all you do on the Bible app, if you want to find where this event is, if you want to find the notes digitally, of course we share them on the screen as we go, but all you have to do is go to the Bible app, and if you go to the, the section that says more, then there's events listed there. And as long as you've got the discovery mode on to show where you're at, then it's going to pull up, it's going to show you Connection Point Church. And if you click on it, then it just pulls up the slides for you. So I decided verbally tell you that all at one time, and now you can help a neighbor. So if you see somebody struggling with their phone, wanting to find notes, you can help them, all right? Uh, well, I grew up in the church, which uh, basically means I made a decision to follow Jesus at a young age. And it also means that I made all my mistakes as a Christian. Anybody else in that boat? Yeah, we have that. You know, some of you made a decision to follow Jesus a little bit later in life. Uh, so you maybe made more of your mistakes on the front end of things. And, and, but no matter where you're at in that spectrum, may we all devote ourselves to living more and more for God. May we turn all things over to Him. And you, whether you've grown up in church or have recently made a decision... Or have yet to figure out what that really means. We may have some here today in that category. May we have people here like that. We all at some point in our lives must come to a place of realizing our need for a savior. We all have to find that. And here's the challenge is that we live in a very self-sufficient society. You know, on our own we can do a lot of things. And if we're not careful we can have the misconception that we don't need God. Jesus talks about this even in the first century when he talks about it's hard for the rich to enter heaven, and what he's talking about there is people who feel like they've got everything they already need, they don't need God, it can be hard for them to come to a place of really chasing after God and all that he has for their lives. And of course, here's the problem with that kind of thinking that we, we don't need God. We all deep down, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, when you're in conversations with people, they, we know that There's something missing, there's something that our our soul longs for. And of course that longing, that soul-shaped longing is to be reconnected with our creator. Deep down it's there. The Apostle Paul, he explains in the New Testament, he talks a bit about this in the book of Romans. He says that we all, every one of us, we all fall short. Nobody's perfect, we know that. We really all have evil hearts when it comes down to it. And the price for that evil heart is death. But, of course, we never rest in that because we know the good news. The good news is is that God can change all of that. But, of course, we have to choose God. And we can choose that and, and have an eternal life through Jesus. In fact, God loves us so much, as we sang this morning, that he demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for us. What an awesome scripture that is. So what we need to do is come to a place of seeking God's forgiveness and believing in Jesus so that we can have that relationship with him. So we're going to continue in our series in Luke today, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture about John the Baptizer. It's another question I've gotten. Why do you call him John the Baptizer? My Bible says John the Baptist. Well, I have news for you. John was not a Baptist. He was not a Nazarene. He was not Assemblies of God. He wasn't Catholic. He was a Baptizer. So I just call him for what he is. He's John the Baptizer. It's the one we heard about in Luke chapter 1. The one who will prepare the way for Jesus to come. The one who will help people get ready for their Savior. What an awesome person. And as we get into Luke chapter 3 today, here's what we're going to find. That we can get ready by preparing the way for Jesus to come. That's what I hope we do today. So if you have your Bibles, those I hope you do. (laughs) Leave your phones at home. I'm okay with that. Bring a Bible though. I hope you have your Bible with you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. So we're now moving into the next chapter. We are flying through Luke, right? (laughs) Now we're diving deep into it. It's good stuff. So Luke chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. So Luke chapter 3, verses
1: 1 to 14. In the 15th year of the region of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother, Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iteria, and then Tatronitis and Licinia, Tetrarch of Albilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah.
0: So I gave Zach, like, one of the hardest scripture passages to read, <laughs> just for the fun of it. I saw, You know, let's, let's see how he does. That was awesome. Well done. <laughs>
1: God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance? And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the, crowd, and the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do the likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and to be content with your wages.
0: Amen. These are the very words of God. May we see you this morning. Well, we walked through chapters 1 and 2 in uh, Luke, and we found in these chapters it was all about God is here. It's an awesome thing. God showed up in bodily form 2,000 years ago in the small Judean town of Bethlehem, born to two incredible earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. And here's what we found in those two chapters. The first was is that we can be confident in the promises of God. Man, you can't read those chapters and not feel that way. Over and over, God promises something and we see it happen. He tells Zachariah, you're going to have a son, and then we see John is born. He tells Mary, you're going to have a son, a savior, and we see that happen and fulfilled as well. We can believe and trust in the promises of God. May you apply that personally to your life. We can also take God at his word, and we should be amazed at his involvement with the details of our lives. Mary and Elizabeth, they can't believe that God chose them to do this thing. To do this thing 2,000 years ago. And and so Mary and Elizabeth, they they praise the name of the Lord as they look at God's involvement with the details of our lives. May you be amazed as you look around and you see God at work in your life. Let's not take that for granted. The God who created the heavens and the earth, a population of almost 7 billion people today on the earth, he cares about you. He cares about your day-to-day life. That's an awesome thing. And we also found that we can choose worship over worry. Mary, she shows up at the house of Elizabeth. She could have a lot to be worried about, but she doesn't choose worry. She chooses to sing and to worship. May that be our expression. May we choose that as well. And when, when we've got things in life we can worry about, don't worry. Let's just worship. Commit it to the Lord. We also saw that we discovered genuine faith leads to joyful confidence. Zechariah he doubts the message that Gabriel brings. So he's got nine months of silence to contemplate and to get close to God. And the very next thing he does, the next moment he's got to speak, he says his name is John, and then he sings in praise that his genuine faith had led to a joyful confidence in who God is. And then we encounter Jesus, as we saw with the shepherds, that as we encounter Jesus, we should celebrate him. It should cause us a sense of celebration. If, if you've really experienced who Jesus is, how can your heart not sing for the fact that you've met and encountered the Creator? The shepherds, they go out singing and praising His name. They can't help but tell others about him. When we experience Jesus, we should celebrate it. May we celebrate it as we leave out these doors today. And the last week, we saw the, the value of getting prepared. It was a transitional text for us. We, we saw baby Jesus, that God is here and now we're moving into a place where we're getting ready for what Jesus is about to do. God is here. He is among us. And it's important that we ready our lives for him, to be ready to be used for his great global purpose. God has a purpose, a unique purpose for each and every person in this room. Nobody is void of that. You are uniquely created by God for a purpose in his church. May you not miss that purpose. God showed up in my life as a freshman in college. My life has never been the same. I had been going a different direction. I had been following God for years, but he showed up in such a way that it changed the trajectory of my life. And now part of that's being fulfilled right now with what Shelly and I are doing. So be ready for what God wants to do in your life. That's what these next few weeks are about. Let's get prepared for what God wants to do in your life personally, but of course in our life as a whole church body. Maybe be ready for that. I mean, with the acknowledgement of God in your life, it's important to be ready for what he wants to do through your life. So then the question is, how do you get prepared? How do you prepare for Jesus? And the first way is, is that you can prepare the way for Jesus to come through life change. I might even say this, even a bit more detailed. You can prepare the way for Jesus to come by recognizing your need for him. You've got to start there. That's, That's the baseline understanding. If you're walking through life as though you don't need God... It's going to change the way you live. But when you recognize your day-to-day dependence upon Jesus, it shapes and changes you. Now, John, let's look at him. He's the son of Zechariah. And Zechariah, let me ask you, I'm going to, I'd like a response from this. What was his occupation? Do you remember from Luke chapter 1? What was Zechariah doing? He was a priest. He was in the temple. Okay? So John is the son of a priest. So let me ask you, where should John be ministering? Where should he be? He should be in the temple, but he's not there. And we find him where in this passage? Where is John ministering? He's in the wilderness. He's doing something a little bit different. If you've been participating in the Live Dead Challenge by working through the Live Dead Joy, the 365-day devotional, you've been reading about Israel, wandering in the wilderness, and now we're kind of setting the stage where they're about to enter into the land that's been promised to them. Here's a map as we could see kind of what they were doing. You can see on the lower portion, the wilderness of Zin, so they were basically traveling through the wilderness, and then they go up on the, let me see, east side of the Dead Sea. So you can see they're basically traveling up through Edom and Moab, and now they're basically parked up there next to Jericho, but on the other side of the Jordan River. Everybody see Jericho on there? So that's where they're at. That helps us to see kind of the stage of of where they're at. And they're about to enter in, and Joshua, the one who's going to lead them into the land, his name means God saves. That's what Joshua means. God was about to establish his people in the land to serve as a light to the nations. That's what God wanted to do. Pull up the next map here. This shows you the uh, the trade routes of the ancient world. And what is unique about the Old Testament and the purpose of Israel is that God put them in such a place that they were at the crossroads of the ancient world for Africa, Asia, and Europe. Every trade route in some capacity went through that land. So what God was doing, he said, I'm going to set up this people as a light for me so that as people travel through your land, they're going to see my favor upon you, my blessing upon you, and they're going to want to serve me as God. That's what he was doing. There was, God was setting up the people in a place so that as people pass through, there was this drawing, this, this inward drawing of who is this God? And of course, we see that with Solomon and the queen of Sheba, she shows up. So we saw that happening in the Old Testament. That's what God was doing. And it's important to understand this in the sense that God has always been a God of the nations. That's never not been the case. That's why God placed Israel at the crossroads of the ancient world. Now what I want to do is move ahead about 1,400 years. And what we find in the passage we're in this morning is we find ourselves back in the very same area. This gives you a picture of the ministry of John the Baptist. So he was baptizing people all along the Jordan River. But now what we see is he's about to baptize, and we're going to step into the passage of Jesus being baptized, and he's about to baptize Jesus in the very same place that Israel, 1,400 years before, had crossed into the land. And here's what that signifies, is that the wilderness prepared the Israelites to accomplish God's purposes. God had to take a people who had a slave mentality and bring them to a place of freedom so they were in the wilderness for 40 years so they could embrace the destiny that God had for them. And now what we find is Jesus is sitting in a place he's about to be baptized by John the Baptist because God is preparing the landscape. He's readying the people to receive him into a new covenant because Jesus is the New Testament name for Joshua because Jesus came to save. But now he's going to save in a whole new way. What we find in Matthew chapter 1 is the angel Gabriel tells Joseph he will save his people from their sins. I love that God's about to break forth. 1,400 years, you know, they went into the land, were a light to the nations, but now they're going to be a light in a whole new way. You know, before people, though, can be saved from evil, they must first recognize their need for a Savior. You know, a certain type of heart is needed to respond to the message of the Bible. That's why John calls for life change, for for repentance, a turning of the heart. To be prepared for God's salvation, a person's heart must be open to this message first. You know, the possibility of saving someone. What an awesome and incredible thing that you can be saved. But we also need to look at the flip side of that, which is judgment. So if a person is not open to God, this opportunity can quickly become a tragedy. And John warns the people of this by mentioning the axe lying at the root of the tree. Is John holding that axe? No. God is. And so John, in great mercy and love, is trying to prepare the people's hearts to receive God. So that there's not judgment, but forgiveness and grace. You know, recognizing that we're accountable to God, it can be either suffocating or liberating. It suffocates us when we insist on continuing to follow the inclinations of our evil hearts. Here's the thing, it liberates us when we chase after God seeking his forgiveness and experience the blessing of what it means to be forgiven. May it not be suffocating, may it be liberating to know these things. You know, when you put your faith in God, you accept the forgiveness obtained at the cross through Jesus, which covers all evil. When we're forgiven by turning to God, such forgiveness should result in transformed character. We see that. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus will share that the one who is forgiven much, that they love much. The depth of our sense of forgiveness, it serves as the drive for our sense of a need for transformation. You know, when we realize what evil acts cost us and what it cost God, we are better prepared to turn from it. I don't know if we reflect on that sometimes. When we understand the cost of not following after God, Sometimes it's so much easier to embrace all that God has for us. Prepare the way for Jesus to come through life change. Because it will prepare the way for Jesus to come into your life. Our text this morning tells us that John is quoting from Isaiah. And he's doing this under the understanding that we need to prepare for Jesus to come into our lives. When Luke points to this text, he's informing us that John's ministry that it means God is at work again to save his people. So Luke turns back to an Old Testament prophet, and now he's saying, look, God is at work again. He's here to save his people, just as he did with Joshua, the one who saves. God is approaching us so that all of creation, as we think about God is here, and what are we doing to get ready for him? All of creation should unroll itself like a giant red carpet in celebration and honor of his arrival, Do we live that way? Do we roll out a red carpet for Jesus in our lives? I hope so. Reading from Isaiah 57, here's what Luke is quoting from. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. What obstructions do you have in your life? Remove them. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The Messiah has come to revive the spirit of the lowly. I love that, the contrite. Contrite just means repentant. So Jesus came to lift up those who have repentant hearts. And what does a repentant heart look like? Well, it might start with confession. It could go there where at least you're starting to come before God and say, you know what, God, these are things I need to make right before you. But it goes beyond that. Because when you come before God asking for forgiveness, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to then go back living the way that you were. Repentance is a 180. It's a, I was living this way, and now, God, I want to live like this. That's what repentance is. This is what John is talking about when he says, every tree, therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you've really turned to God, your life should look different than it did before you knew him. It should. Now, I want to be clear here, though, to help you understand, there is nothing you need to do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do. It's all upon God. So there's nothing that we can... We can perform any acts that we can do, anything to earn salvation. It's a free gift from God. We know that. We're saved by grace through faith. That's it. But what's interesting is, is the New Testament emphasizes a lot about doing. You can't miss it as you go through it. I mean, Paul here writes in Titus that knowing Jesus makes you eager to do what is good. When you've experienced God, you are eager to do what is good. I want to look through some scriptures that talk about this. Here's what we find in in Luke chapter 6. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. I love that verse. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart. Don't you know that to be true? And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. And in Luke 13, Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, "I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig." If you've been following Christ for three years and you're not displaying any Christ-like fruit, watch out. Cut it down, he says. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, oh, for mercy. Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I do. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. There's something that compels you. When you have encountered Jesus, you can't help but want to do things in Jesus' name. You can't help to want to share that with others when you've experienced him. Colossians 3, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. last verse in James, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Doesn't do you a whole lot of good to have memorized the Bible and follow nothing of its teachings. It's a waste. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. All throughout the New Testament, Although there is nothing we need to do to earn the salvation of God, what we see is if you have experienced Jesus, you just can't help but be compelled to do things in his name. To turn to God means being prepared to serve others, one of our church core values, which means if you claim to know Christ and you don't have a heart to serve others, Scripture would say, I don't know that you've experienced him yet. And we can dance around it all we want, but Scripture's pretty clear on the issue. And if that's you today, could I plead with you? <laughs> Make a genuine decision to turn over your entire life to Jesus today. Don't stay in that place. Stop pretending and start experiencing the real life in God. We don't need more people in the church acting like Christians. We need people passionate about the things of God and his saving power. That's what will change your life and the lives of people around you. Passion for Jesus and his ways. You know John's audience they may, have, may have assumed that because they were Jews having Abraham as their father, that they were guaranteed salvation as part of the elect family of God. This is what John's addressing here. And John describes such thinking as deadly. Jews were proud of their heritage, but John warns them that such a heritage means nothing to an individual who does not personally know God. And you may have come from a family that's embraced Christianity for generations. You may have grown up in the church You might even be a member of this church, but relationship with God is not predicated on a claim of association. You don't turn in your church membership card. Not that we have those, by the way. (laughs) But you don't go up to heaven one day and say, God, here's my membership card for Connection Point Church. It doesn't work that way. No such thing exists. It's no ticket into entrance for eternity. Being born in a Christian country. Growing up in a Christian home, going to a Christian church, living a moral Christian life, it means nothing if you've not personally responded to the offer of forgiveness that's found in Jesus. No baptism, no amount of church attendance, and no history of Christ in the family can substitute for a personal turning to Jesus with an awareness that he provides forgiveness for your sin. Forgiveness must come by the grace of God. And the gift of a new life that he gives to those who turn to Jesus with a heart that's aware of their need. So if you haven't been aware, may I tell you, you need Jesus. You need him every day. Success in the Christian life, it continues to recognize that without God and his grace, we are all prone to evil. I mean, the crowd, they understand the message and they, they ask what they can do to avoid the wrath to come. And the crowd knows that the important issue is responding to God with a certain kind of heart. To prepare the way for Jesus to come into your life, you need to set your heart on him. Pray and ask God to grow your hunger for him. Maybe you just feel like, I I just don't know that I have a hunger for God. Pray and ask. God will surely answer that prayer with a yes. I will give you hunger. Ask God for a growing desire to live more like him. As we take communion today, we're going to do that at the end of the service today. Make a decision to really dedicate yourself to God. Stop pretending and begin a passionate pursuit of the King of Kings today. Prepare the way for Jesus to come into your life. And then prepare the way for Jesus to come into the lives of others. May it not just stop here, but may it flow out from here that you prepare the way for Jesus to come into the lives of others. John tells the crowd to be generous, giving a tunic to the one who needs it and, and food to those who lack it. The hated tax collectors also respond. These people operated on a, a sort of a pyramid scheme since a collection of taxes was put out for bids and commissions were built into the collection. The fact that tax collectors are often paired with sinners in the New Testament, we'll see that as we continue through Luke, it shows us how much disdain the Jewish society had for them. John tells them to collect only what was required. And then the soldiers who kept the peace and and wielded great power, they're told not to use that force to extort money or accuse people falsely, but to be content with their wages. You know, the point is important because financial pressure could lead to extortion because soldiers earned only a basic wage. Here's what I like. The word to extort, as we look at the meaning behind it in the scripture, it's particularly descriptive. It means to shake violently. You can picture that. The value of treating others well, it has a timeless value. May we always treat others well. Our treatment of others grows out of our appreciation for God and His creation. What's interesting in each one of these examples is that this was obviously common practice for people to not be generous, for tax collectors to be dishonest, and for soldiers to shake people violently to extort them. So, what John is saying is don't live like the rest of the world. Display a lifestyle that shows you have a relationship with God. Be generous, because our heart's default is selfishness. Be honest, because human nature is to be dishonest. Be meek, in other words, be strong but easy to live with, because in the natural, people abuse the power they have. And be content, because our restless hearts naturally live in discontentment. So what does a transformed life look like? Well, it involves treating people with generosity by meeting their needs and refusing to abuse authority. In other words, a transformed life transforms our way of interacting with others. People are not to be ignored, used, or abused. And what is the end result? Living generously, honesty, in control, and in contentment, it displays to a lost world the love of God. This passage reveals the kind of heart that God desires. You prepare the way for Jesus to come into the lives of others by living a life that reflects the very nature of God. As you make a genuine decision to live for God, your life begins to change. Your priorities look different. And the world around you, it takes notice. And what we find in Scripture is that God honors those who honor others. That's why in the disciples' prayer, we pray to have our sins forgiven as we forgive others. The forgiven person is to become a forgiving person. The delivered person is to become a delivering person. And as the Father has shown his goodwill to us, may we show his goodwill to others. Buy someone's groceries. It looks like they could use the help. Be honest in your business dealings. And if you're a head of a department or a business, use your position in service to others. These are ways that prepare the lives of others to receive Jesus. Prepare the way for Jesus. To come. We're going to close today by taking communion this morning. So I'd like to invite those who are going to help us uh, by way of serving the floor host, if you don't mind to start preparing to pass those out, feel free to do that. I'm going to invite the music team to come back out because um, we're going to close in song after we've taken communion. And so I just want you to take an opportunity as we've looked at the scripture to prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts for Jesus to come. I've talked about how it was practiced in the early church for them to take communion. Because they understood that God showed up, Jesus showed up in a special way as we participate in communion. So we're just going to take communion as an opportunity to examine ourselves this morning. You know, common verses to be read in the taking of communion, they come from Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth. So floor hosts, as you're ready, feel free to come down the aisles and feel free to begin to pass out those elements. And what I'm going to ask that you do is they distribute those elements. to simply hold on to the cup, hold on to the bread, and then we're going to take those all collectively at the end as everybody's had a chance to be served. So take the cup and take the bread, and we'll take that together. But here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So what Paul is telling the church, thank you Tim, is he's encouraging them as we look to communion, let that be an opportunity for self-examination to see where you're at with God. May we all do that. If you're here today and have never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you didn't understand your need of him, may you understand you need Jesus. There's no other way to God but through him. So if that's you today and you would say, you know what, I need to get right with God, Jesus says, uh, we have in Scripture, Paul writes that, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, and I'm telling you, that's where, that's where it really hits. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. He even says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if that's you today, as we participate in communion, communion is for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, I just encourage you that before you would take communion, you'd say, Jesus, I need you. That's it. Jesus, I need you. I need more of you in my life. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. You've grown up in the church. But maybe you've not really examined your life for a while to say, God, where am I really at with you? So we're just going to take a moment to do that here this morning as we finish passing out the elements that we're just going to pause and reflect and allow you an opportunity to say, God, are there things in my life that I need to remove? Obstructions that are in the way of preparing you to come? And the Holy Spirit will speak those things if you invite it. If you ask, God will show. So I just encourage you as you receive that element, just begin to pray begin to reflect asking God God where am I at with you what obstructions do I need to remove may I not have known you for three years and displayed no fruit God I want to be real in you so just begin to reflect as we finish passing out those elements and ask God God forgive me for anything that's not right and then we're going to live boldly in his name we don't, we don't dwell upon the past we turn it over to God and then we live in victory in his name but we've got to start with understanding our need of Him. Is there anybody here that's not been served this morning? Just raise your hand so the floor host can help get the elements to you today. Anybody not been served? All right, we're well, going back to our scripture in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes of the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together this morning. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let's take of the blood today. Thank you, Lord. We're going to close in song. And I just encourage you. If there's things that you want to turn over to the Lord, leave it with him today. Leave it here at the altar. We're going to sing, we're going to, we're going to sing about that. I'm going to invite you to, uh, to stand as we close in song this morning. May you sing your heart out unto the Lord. And leave everything with him that you can live victoriously in his name.